Welcome back. This is part two of the GLA book club on Disco Elysium. Uh, I'm Vuli Shampler, again here with Mike. Hey. Ian Russell. Hello. And Spex. Hello. At this point, continuing the main story is going to start railroading you towards the end pretty quickly. So we're going to be in side quest country for the first part of this. On day three, you finally get the water lock open to the fishing village, and you can explore there. Joyce calls it pornographically poor, which is pretty accurate. It's pornographically poor, the street has no name, all the men are dead or missing, and is that the carcass of a motor carriage over there? Your character calls it pornographically poor as well if you talk to a specific character about it. Huh. It's funny that they both come up with the exact same sort of description of it. If you pass a conceptualization check. Conceptualization has a definite poetic side. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's actually a thought that kind of really aligns with him called actual art degree. And you get, like, uh, disadvantages, I think, to, like, hand-eye coordination because you're just so frustrated with how shitty all the art you see is. It gives you massive bonuses when you do conceptualization checks because it gives you experience and I think maybe money. Does it give you money as well? Is it one of those? Yeah, it gives you experience anytime you do a, a conceptualization check. It doesn't give you money. It heals morale. Ah, uh, yeah. So, like, I had that night ended the game just with, like, so many fucking morale healing items. It was, it was like, nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, once the water lock opens up, you get a lot of area to explore, a lot of uh, things to pick up, a lot of little scents here and there, a lot of postcards to pawn off, some money. And you come across the crashed wreckage of a motor car as well. Yes, yes. and you do not know to whom it belongs. Inland Empire warns you not to find out. <laughs> yeah. But you will. And if you want to find out whose car it is, you have to basically sit on a on a swing for, like, hours. If you want to inspect the car, if you want to get and see what's inside, you want to, you know, make sure you can still get the things that were in the car, you're going to have to wait for the tide to recede. And to do that, you sit on the swing, and you pass some in-game time, and you have a little whistle, and a little... Little, some little cute dialogue with Kim. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely sequence. Unless you're racist to him. That and, like, the karaoke sequence are two big moments that, like, stick out to me in terms of just, like, when the game kind of takes control away from you for a little while. You know, you're just... I mean, you have dialogue options there, but it's really just, yeah, you're just kind of hanging out with Kim on the swings. Yeah, it's the one time you, you like, you get to sit down with Kim because you're always hustling around somewhere otherwise, and Kim actually points this out, like... Man, you run everywhere, huh? You never stop working. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, actually. There's a couple of points where Kim will talk to you about your play style. So the end of the first day is one of them. You can, like, do a first day review with Kim. And if you walk, he'll tell you something different. I don't know what he tells you, but he, he says you run everywhere a lot if you are actually running. It's interesting that the game analyzes your playstyle a bit like that. Yes, and if you vary between them a lot. Like, if you're treating the movement in this game like Diablo... He will comment on it as well, saying that you're doing a weird shuffle, where you're constantly walking, then running, then walking, then running, and that he, he's trying as hard as not to bump into you whenever you shift. And they call it, like, I think the Jamrock Shuffle. Yeah. As it's something that your precinct is known for doing. That's quite fun. That's really funny. Honestly, I am one of the guys that will just always run, because... Yeah, same. I, I don't have the patience to walk through this game, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course you always run. 
the play area is huge. You move pretty slow. Yeah, I wanted to say, actually, um, there's a couple of points in the game, and one bit is where you're questioning Klausdjur and the Hardy Boys, where you're, like, running back and forth between two places so much. It's like, I wish I could just teleport to the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, if they did it, like, Age of Decadence style, where, like, big chunks of the game are you just zipping in between NPCs. Yeah. Yeah, and especially if you're doing the thing where you just walk between Clash and the Hardy Boys, what you run into is just so many loading screens. Yeah. I even like optimize my running route by always going in through the back route. So I only have to load twice. Also, once you get the fishing village unlocked and you're running between parts of the now expanded play area and the whirling in rags, it's like it takes you a good minute and a half to two minutes to get from one end of the map to the other just to go and speak to someone and then run back potentially for some of the side quests. We were talking about uncovering the motor carriage. So you realize that you're the one who crashed this car. There's some early signs of it next to the whirling in rags. Like you can see that someone's crashed their car while reversing it into like some fence panels. And you sort of analyze the tire tracks to see where they go. And it turns out it was you that destroyed the water lock by jumping your car over it. And Kim kind of suspected that you did that from the start. If you do the visual calculus checks for both the like the commercial board that's in the water that's blocking the water lock and you do the tire tracks you get a side quest to go look for the driving hooligan because you're like man someone's really breaking the law here kim can't believe someone's out here breaking the law someone should do something about that huh kim and then kim's like yeah i, I really think we shouldn't be looking into it i really really think you shouldn't look into this and at the very end, he's like, well, yeah, this is what I uh, expected. What's the whistling like if you actually succeed the check? Because I failed it both times. Uh, you don't hear any whistling from what I... Uh... Kim just kind of nods and smiles like he reacts. It's like, oh, that's nice. If you don't whistle, then I think Kim will do uh, like a little uh, rhythm on his thighs, just slapping it like a drum. If you fail the check, then you just sort of go... Dribble a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> Kim's just like, you should stop. <laughs> <laughs> and you can just keep going. <laughs> what do we want to talk about next? I think, like, finishing up with the car, because that is, like, a, that is sort of a big twist, and it's also where you get your badge. Yes, mm. and where you find out your name, your real name. You can accept or reject. Oh, yeah, Harrier Dubois. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because people back in revolutionary times used to name their kids after weapons. Kim's, Kim explains it. What does he actually say? You're named after your mother. Yeah. So it's your mother's maiden name as your first name. That's basically where the name Harrier comes from. And the rest is, I think, Lieutenant Double uh, Yefrader. Yes. Which means that he is one rank away from a captain, and he has passed up promotions twice. We covered this in the first episode. He wanted to keep doing detective work rather than being an official. Oh, yeah. You also find you... Uh... Your last police jacket. Mm -hmm. Yep. I guess just up the coast from there, you find you find a new place to live. So you don't have to spend money to stay at the Whirling and Rags anymore if you don't want to. Yeah, there's a small community here consisting of a washerwoman. Please lean in closer. I have cataracts. Netpicking swordswoman and her kids. Aye, officer. And some drunks. Hi, Tequila. I love the drunks. The drunks are interesting. You get one guy that's just shouting about Abigail. Don't call Abigail. You get Felix. 
Felix Biederman voices uh, one of the merchant bums that you can buy the spirit from, the 99.9% pure alcohol. Spirits I can let go for 300 real. Which is uh, going to be turned into a weapon later on. And if you are wearing your funky tie at this point of the game, the funky tie will actually direct you to buy the spirit. He tries to charge you 300 real for the spirit, but then if you talk to him for long enough, he gets confused and says it's only 3 real, and then like he doesn't go back on it, so you can just pay him practically nothing for it. Mm-hmm. And there's Idiot Doom Spiral, who tells you that your name is Tequila Sunset. Tequila Sunset. And apparently that's what you were shouting when you drove your car <laughs> over the uh, precipice and crashed it into the beach. Yeah, during your three-day bender, you hung out with these guys and the name Tequila Sunset was coined. Your encyclopedia here chimes in to say, Tequila Sunset is a Revacholian term for drinking yourself until death. Which is basically what you were trying to do. <laughs> that's where his name comes from. And Kim kind of looks at you like disturbed, like, wow, like you were really in a bad spot, weren't you? And because of your memory loss, now you seem better. <laughs> this guy tried to kill himself, and that's why he's lost his memory after a botched suicide attempt. That's like kind of what your theory at that point is as to why he lost his memory. Despite the dark origins of the name, Idiot Doom Spiral will continue calling you to kill at sunset the entire game. <laughs> yes. Yes. The old washer lady who's in the village gives you a place to stay. And if you search the place that you're staying at, you find a bullet. And you determine that Ruby probably stayed here as well. The woman that you're following, who's your best lead for the murderer in the investigation at this point. And she hid something under the floorboards, right? I think it's just the bullet. I don't think there's anything else under the floorboards. Yeah, Yeah, but that's one or two bullets you can get in the game. So that's pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. And your brain kind of speculates that it wasn't necessarily to defend herself, but that she was honestly considering suicide. And you can take that as, you know, as truth or you can go. It's like, you know, that's where his thoughts are leading him because you do get, you know, earlier on, you do get that sort of hint that your thoughts aren't necessarily to be trusted and that they have their own kind of agenda. You can ask the washer lady about Ruby and she'll be like, oh, well, I didn't want to tell you because I thought she was a nice girl. But uh, I guess now that you're asking me directly, I'll have to tell you that she was here. She can also wash that really disgusting shirt you find further up the coast. That's a quest from Idiot Doom Spiral. He asks you to find his jacket and you find it on top of a gatepost covered in shit. Like literally just there's there's so much bird shit on it. Dust and other shit like rain damage. There's one point where you touch another bit of his clothing and you take damage from touching it because it's so odd. (laughs) It's too icky. Because it's just slimy and horrible, yeah. And when you bring the jacket back to him, he says, oh, thanks, you can keep it, though. I don't remember asking you for it. I was probably drunk. (laughs) Yeah. He says you ruined it by cleaning it, I think. Oh. He actually says that that was never his jacket. He would never be caught dead wearing fallen sportswear. Yeah, and you can force him to take the jacket back, or you can just keep it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. This, by the way, does tie into the the achievement fully decked out in fallen gear. By the pants from Kuno, I don't remember where you find the other pieces. You get the sneakers from the merchant. Can't keep your eyes off those sneakers? Who also gives you speakers. (laughs) The tracksuit you get from Kuno, the jacket you get from the side quest from Doom Spiral, and I believe the head you find near one of the buildings on the coastline, and the gloves you find near the pawn shop. But yeah, no, it looks absolutely absurd. So who went on a date 
with Lily and the Swordswoman. I did. I did on my second playthrough. Second playthrough as well. I did, but she didn't like me, so... I don't know what the difference is if you have a good bait. This is what locals call a makeout spot. That is not going to happen here today. I just want to make that clear, Dimples. If you have a good date with her, then she gives you her sword. Yes. Okay, is it good Which, for anything? You can show it to Mignana and he says, A great sword fit for a great bojadero. And it gives a bonus when you uh, confront Ruby later. Oh, okay, that's cool. Or you can use the multi-tool that you get from the church side quest. Which we should move on to. Should we talk about the date first, just because like, we haven't even talked about that character? She lives on the coast. Like, like we said, she's got two kids. And you can take her on a date uh, because you decide that she needs to start dating an alcoholic. <laughs> Previously dated an alcoholic and then like it. Yeah. So you need to change her mind about dating alcoholics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she has a boat and she is just about to finish tarring the boat. So it is seaworthy, which comes up again later and is kind of important. She's just quite a nice character. She's sort of very grounded in comparison with a lot of the, the characters who are around. And you can just find out a bit about the fishing village from her. It is one of those times where your brain specifically advises you against this. But like where it really doesn't work out to just be extremely weird. You can't really ask her out on a date if Kim is around as well. So you have to do it late at night when Kim's gone to bed. Otherwise you get negative check bonus for asking her on a date kim's presence makes it awkward i think is what it says yeah yes yeah hanging out in a tent on a like an ice shelf right by the church there's blonde albert einstein hello i'm andre it's a pleasure to meet you weird gangly emo kid go speak to andre i'm just annoyed and egghead the best character egg egghead is my favorite character in the game i think egghead aka scooter he is a direct reference to the German techno group Scooter. Every line he says in the game is from one of their songs, pretty much. Two on a track, watch your back, watch out for the heart attack. He is so lost in the music that he can't communicate except just for stream of consciousness yelling over the music. It's the place to be. <laughs> Good morning, yeah! One, two, three! Yeko Qatar! The place to be! He says he's the party boy, and you can ask him what a party boy is, and he doesn't really understand that you wouldn't know what they are, but you can talk to his friends about it, and they're like, yeah, he's he's the hype guy. He gets people pumped for, for like, the dance tracks and stuff. Skibadi, skibadanger! I am the rearranger! Hardcore! But is it, though? That whole thing was a nice, uh, a nice little, like, just dialogue maze, and it literally tells you, it's just like, yeah, you're gonna have to, like, brute force this. All of his dialogue choices, they lead you down a weird path to just an end of conversation, but you can get a quest from him if you respond in the right way, and he decides that his music isn't hardcore enough, and you can go find some tape to, like, splice into his music track to make it harder core. Yes. Yes, yes, you can do that actually twice. Uh, the first time is like one of those one of those shivers moments where it's just like there's literally just kind of like no way you could know know this, but it just says it's like yeah, there's tape dangling from this tree. Yeah, it tells you where to go to finish this quest when you finish talking to him, and I think that's the biggest example of when shivers came in handy for me was like it tells you exactly how to do this quest when you find out about it. After you splice it in once, you have to complete the rest of the church side quest to do the other uh, upgrade to his music. Yeah, one of the meteor side quests in this is helping out the Anodic Dance Club. 
They want to set up a techno club and drug operation in the old church. You can convince them to drop the drug operation. Yes. Which also ties into the epilogue later, like it actually has consequences. Yeah, um, and Egghead is totally fine with, with dropping the drug operation. He really is about the music. There's a few ways you can get them to change their idea. You can either bully them into not doing the drugs aspect. You can basically say, I'm going to bring the law down on you if you do it. Or you can just convince them that they don't need it. Or you can just go along with it and be like, yeah, no, I'm fine with the drugs. Do what you want. Or get in on the cut. <laughs> I think you can arrest them as well, can't you? I didn't wind up trying. They tell you to investigate the church, but before that, you do meet one of them who's trying to discover new sounds on the ice. I take it you've met the others. Did they tell you about the church and the club thing? And this also leads to the introduction of one of my favorite running gags there. I uh, forget the character's name. A cell. A cell, yeah. You have a nice little thing with her about, hey, you should wear a hat. It's cold. <laughs> And you could actually just for like 5 XP just give up whatever hat you're wearing to give to her. But yeah, she mentions that she's using a contact mic to try and determine the sounds in there. And Encyclopedia will tell you about how there actually also is a famous boxer named Contact Mike. <laughs> and then won't relent until you start ranting about Contact Mike. You can encourage her to be more like Contact Mike. Contact Mike is amazing. Uh, what is it, like 5,000 to 1 outsider odds or whatever? After you do, like, I believe an empathy check with her, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, kind of what's going on? Like, do you feel like, you know, your your other friends are kind of ignoring you and stuff like that? And, and you know, you really try and encourage her. And then at the end of this, you have another dialogue option to say it's like, well, you should really try and be more like Contact Mike. I missed this whole thing. I didn't know anything about Contact Mike until you told me about it. It comes up at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Like, it starts getting referenced. That when you do karaoke, if you do it after this, you can dedicate it to Contact Mike. Oh, that's so great. I didn't know anything about Contact Mike. Contact Mike is absolutely important. There's even a thought related to it. Wow. Yeah, the litany of Contact Mike. Anything else on the dance club? After you go with these guys, they tell you to enter into the church where weird stuff happens. You meet the crab man. Yeah. This is the church of the mother of silence. I saw him more as a gargoyle, although he's referred to as a crab man. He's described as looking kind of like stone, isn't he? Yeah, and he crawls around on the walls and stuff. Yeah. He is one of the characters that has taken up residence in the church and has become rather religiously inspired by a little anomaly in the church. Yeah, so there's like a two-foot-wide hole in the middle of the church where... Two-inch. Two-millimeter-wide hole. There you go, sorry, yeah. Is it millimeter? Well, anyway, you can stand in the middle of this church and, like, you can't hear anything. It's just a complete absence of sound. You can't hear people who are outside of the hole when you're in it. They can't hear you. And it goes all the way up from the floor of the church up into the sky. And the crab man will tell you that he kind of sits in it and sort of uses it for religious kind of purposes. He, like, sits in the hole and meditates. He's using it to wipe his brain. Yes. He's using it to forget. It's one of the... And it's one of the weird points of the pale. Because you can talk to one of the truckers that actually loads a cargo through the pale, like, makes these trips through the pale. And is also over-radiated. But they say that they become over-radiated with past. So they get all these memories from times that in which they weren't even alive, of people that aren't them. 
She says that on certain points of the pale, history actually gets to such a point that there's nothing there. Like, this is the point where this actually, instead of getting memories, you will start to lose all the memories you have. Like, it will just disappear. Yes. And this is one of those points in the pale that does that. And he is using it to forget his past as what, you, well, you can kind of piece it together, that he was in a gang. It also drops in, like, one of the other potential theories about how Harry lost his memory. Mm -hmm. Or at least something related to it. You also see... The big mural, ah, yes. the big painted glass mural that depicts Dolores Day, the Jesus Christ of this world, if you will. Yeah, so she's, what, the seventh innocence or something like that? Innocences are just people who have had a an impact on the history of the world, and they're, they're basically like saints. They're advisors slash pope slash saints. They used to be part of the old world. If your encyclopedia is high, you can sort of remember stuff about Dolores Day at this point, or you can talk to Kim about her, but it leads to you having, like, this discussion as to whether she was a good thing or a bad thing. Like, she she started some wars, I think, is, is one of the reasons that you might not want to side with her ideology. Like, she she's considered by some people to be a war criminal. For the ruling faction of the setting, the moralists, she is like Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Yes. The moral intern was like dedicated to her essentially it's dedicated to her philosophy her rule her way of life kind of she's described as certain like inhuman qualities that you know her skin was incredibly hot she was very much aloof compared to the other innocents which were like it seems like a dalai lama kind of thing where like specific members of the founding party like select them but also you know they can't just pick one at random it's considered incredibly auspicious to live during the time of an innocent, so it's n they're not always around. Her lungs glowed within her chest, and there were people who theorized that she was she was not human, including one of her Secret Service agents, who was the one who ultimately killed her, because he believed that she was assisting mankind in a way that they were supposed to complete on their own, that she was some kind of outsider, alien kind of presence in the world. Later on, if you do the full side quest where you ferry in messages between Joyce and Everard, eventually Joyce will tell you the story on how the insulinda that you're on, the Isola that you're in, how it was discovered. And it tells a tale of during Jalora's time, of a time where the Pale was navigatable for a short period, where it became as navigatable as an ocean, if you will. It was during that time that they found the insulind Isola, where they built Revachol where the first settlers uh, came to shore. And they found the squab bird first. It was the first life form that they found after they emerged from the pale, which is why that is the symbol of Revachol. There's a lot of bird-related symbolism going on in the background as well. One of the uh, thoughts you can get, actually, or like a side quest you can get, is to work out what your hereditary bird is as well. You can like yeah. work out what your spirit animal is, and you decide it's some sort of cockatoo, I think. If you pick that one, yes. You can also pick like a sorry bird, you can pick a majestic one, and they all give points towards your various copo types. If you think that you're a majestic bird, then you will gravitate more towards superstar cop. If you think you're like a predatory bird, you'll go more towards a nationalist cop. I think there was a mention about Dolores Day is that when Harry sees her, he just thinks of his ex-wife. Yes. He yes. seems to have them confused in his head. 
Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of matched together. Um, you can kind of surmise that his wife had some resemblance to her. Yeah, but what I also think is that this basically is the one clue that determines which of your amnesia stories is real. Because I think what happened is that he tried to kill himself with drinking, crashed his car on the other side of the coastline, stumbled to the bum camp, had a nice drinking party with them, then drunkenly stumbled towards the towards the church where he met the gangbanger who then helped him forget. But because the big thing in the church is that big mural of Dolores Day, the moment you look at that window, instantly those bad feelings start flooding back because instantly your 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 inland empire your volition will go you shouldn't look at this you should step away so you reckon it was like the last thing he saw before he wiped his memory essentially yes i think that and i think it's because of the trauma of his wife leaving him that he desired to forget and to like kill himself essentially this really reminds me of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah 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 it's a lot like that well i mean the descriptions of him from beforehand seem like he was becoming unhinged for like years at that point like what the people described just in the town like harry walking around like holding his gun up to his head saying it's like wouldn't it be fucked up if i killed myself right here if you do the rigorous self-critique you will actually get some real hard facts on harry and what he did in his past and you'll find out that that relationship between him and his ex could not have gone any better than it did like it was it was it was really messed up already like the things that harry did really warranted her breaking off that relationship way earlier than what she ended up doing which again also ended really badly which we'll talk about later when you look at the ledger don't you get to decide whether you left her or vice versa no there's the caustic echo thought that you can get so you can basically choose to ignore any thoughts of your ex-wife when you open the ledger by throwing away a postcard that she wrote to you if you read it then it makes you really upset because it's got like a love letter from her but you can just get rid of it but then you can like think about it afterwards which opens up the caustic echo thought in which you can like decide to reevaluate whether or not you were right to throw away the postcard no matter what you try and do even if you try and like avoid all the triggers you will not be able to avoid the final dream the final dream will show up no matter what oh uh you absolutely can skip that canonically even if even if you skip that time when you go to bed harry's gonna go to bed at another time and the final dream is gonna come regardless should we talk about the final dream now yes we'll talk about it now the final dream is the trauma that Harry is dealing with throughout the game. That you get clues about the X something. Even at the start, you have a dialogue option to ask the primordial lizard brain what he meant with the X something, like the X wives that he mentioned. X love, X tenderness. It is foolish of you to resurface to the loss. There's clues sprinkled throughout the game that hints that hints at something. Yeah. yeah. Interesting little side thing. In Revachol, people do not get married in that traditional way. Like it was something along with the revolution. Like people, it's like, oh yeah, people haven't gotten married for decades. Like they don't take each other's names. Yeah. Marriage is just kind of a dead concept in Revachol. 
You fall asleep in a bed towards the end of the game, like right before the final confrontation, which we'll get to later. It takes you into this weird dream sequence where you kind of walk across the ocean and you start talking to Dolores Day, or what you think is Dolores Day, but then it becomes more and more apparent that this is just how Harry interprets the vision of his ex, ex ex-wife, ex-girlfriend, whatever you want to call her, the ex-something. And you basically have a conversation with her about why you broke up with her, where she went, stuff like that. You have a conversation with yourself, essentially, and it gets a little meta here and there, but it's it's incredibly hard-hitting dialogue. I'm not going to actually go into any of it because I don't want to spoil it, but long story short is the relationship blew up in Harry's face after there was just too many, too many instances of shit going wrong, and he got ripped a new one. There's a hole in his heart. Yeah. Essentially, because of uh, what happened in that relationship. But yeah, so back to the church, because this is where another kind of big fold comes in, though. This this is entirely missable and entirely optional, though, because you're along the coast looking for Ruby and this feels like such a meaty lead, like most players, I think, will wind up at least seeing this part of the way through. Another character shows up at the church who is really the key to it. Crabman mentions that there's a there's a bruja, does he say? Yes, a, a grandma, yeah. Oh, a grandma living here. Um, you can ask if it's Ruby, but it turns out it's Suna the scientist. Breaking into my radio computer, I see. Who is not actually an old lady. She just dresses and acts like an old lady, which means, that, like you say, she, he, he calls her um, grandma in, in sort of Spanish or whatever language it is he speaks. And um, all the kids who are doing the aeronautic dance music think she's really old as well, but she's, she's actually not. She just is a bit stuffy. And she is there hunting for the anomaly. Yeah. That uh, she has a lot of equipment in the church for that you stumble upon, you can click for orbs on and inspect. So she's researching the pale column that rises out of this church that is causing this anomaly that's causing a, a lack of sound in the middle of the church. The anomaly caused a accident to happen on the video game she was programming that uh, wiped out most of the data that they had including their backup because their backup was on site instead of off site because of crunch she asks you to go and get her some of the basically hard drives they call them filaments but she asks you to get a hard drive from her old development studio where she was making an rpg game which leads you to if you haven't discovered it yet the cursed commercial district that's it the doomed commercial area the doomed financial district of um martinez yeah you can then go and both find her this filament memory in the doomed um financial district and you can also speak to the other characters who still live in that area and try to convince them that there's a curse or that there's no curse, depending on how you feel. Yeah, but what you can also do is at the start of the Doom commercial area, you will have a doorbell that rings at all the various defunct businesses. And there's one of the doorbells that actually connects to a, a bit of the pale. Like you get some entrepreneurial interference i believe the game calls it one of the doorbells actually connects you to a 200 year old recording that's trapped somewhere in the in the circuitry as they say it's essentially a mini boss fight where you have to harry has to basically face up to a woman that a recording of a woman that talks about uh, michael that has abandoned her and how happy she is that she's starting a life anew somewhere else 
if you actually tough it out during that whole conversation, you figure out that it's a recording. And then later on in the Doom commercial area, you can talk to one of the tenants that's still there making dice. Hello, I'm Nia. About all of the previous businesses that failed. And they all had various interesting reasons of failing. You can even find one of the investors for the RPG that uh, the programmer is working on in the container park of the Union. He's in a shut container, and he is so rich that light bends around his face. Yes, so this was another one of those genuinely just like weird hunches that Harry gets. But yes, the container in there, after living in the world for several days, yes, you can meet mega rich light bending guy. Oh yeah, I wanted to ask about this guy. Because I never got into that box in any of the playthroughs. Yeah, this check is practically impossible. So it's a, um, is it a rhetoric check or a logic check? It's a rhetoric. You got to convince the door to open. Yes. uh, So you meet this guy basically because of your comparative net worth and the Weiss-Weissman effect. Once it reaches a certain point where you're in the presence of someone who has so much more net worth than you that they basically own all the wealth in the room. All the material in in the room is theirs including the light. Yeah, so light begins to bend around them. It's the ultimate expression of Worthington's law. More money equals better than. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. It is also funny because th- the whole thing is just a jab at like the obscene wealth that we see today in the hands of people like Michael Bloomberg. Yeah. Where they might as well have those effects because they are so obscenely wealthy. They are completely removed from the realm of normal humanity. <laughs> It's a really interesting effect in the game as well. It looks really cool on screen. But as you approach this character, your monetary like value in the bottom right that shows how much real you have, it like gets closer and closer to an infinitely small decimal place, I think. Yes. It just it keeps changing, but it becomes like point and then just a massive string of numbers. That's funny. Yes. And the, and the closer you get to him, the, the worse it gets to eventually <laughs> when you stand right next to him, it's minus. So minus a giant string of numbers because you're actually indebted to him now because you're standing too close to him. You can actually grift him, though. Yes. If you've been working for uh, Everard. There's two ways to grift him. There's one where you basically present Everard's plan to him as your own. The youth center. And you tell him, yeah, we can use this to instill liberal values in new consumers for all your, you know, uh, consuming needs. And you can get him to give you like a hundred real or something, which at this point in the game, by the time you open it, is probably worthless to you anyway, but... Not to me. I got those sneakers. I bought all the books, all the board games. (laughs) But you can also propose a really bad business plan to him, and that gets you a thought as well. I don't know what it's about, though. I can't remember. Basically, you get some money for a failed check. Oh, that's cool. Going back to sort of Fortress Occident and the um, the like RPG that was being programmed, there's a load of like sort of tongue-in-cheek jokes about how like this company didn't keep to budget because they kept coming up with wilder and wilder ideas of features they could put in their RPG mm. and eventually they ran out of crunch time and it's just sort of basically poking fun at Kickstarter projects, it's poking fun at just the video game industry in general, it's poking fun at themselves, the creators of the games. Totally speaking for from experience while deciding this side quest here. Yeah. The game, the actual game that these people were designing was a a giant call-in MMO? 
Am I reading that right? Yeah, they were planning on doing things that have never been done before with video games. They were essentially doing a Roll20. It was a radio call-in D&D, but, like, intensely elaborate and with, like, multiple DMs and, like, parties and stuff in a connected thing. And way too many features. Mm. Yes, way too many features. <laughs> Feature creep was a big problem for this game, so the yeah. developers will point out if you actually press her about why the game failed. As for the rest of the Doom District, we talked a little bit about the Dice Maker. Um, I just want to say the voice of the Dice Maker, I really like it. It's really calming and it's cool. I'm a novelty Dice Maker. Tell me the name of your role-playing system and I'll make the die you need. You can ask her about the curse because the woman who works at the bookshop tells you that she is the cause of the curse, the the dice maker lady. Yeah. Because she's heard strange noises coming from Upper Chimney, which is basically leading to where the dice maker lives. The bookstore lady is also outlandishly superstitious. The wards, the door, it's all gone now. Dark psychic energy leeching onto my shop. You can play along with her and you determine in dialogue whether or not you're doing this sarcastically. <laughs> you can just genuinely be, it's like, oh yeah, no, there's there's something paranatural here. But it's also up to you to decide whether the dice maker lady is the cause of the curse. And if you decide that there is a curse, you can go back to the bookshop lady and you can tell her, yes, there's a curse and you were right, it's the dice maker. Or you can tell her, yes, there's a curse but I think there's something else at work that's causing this. And then when you find out about the Column of Pale at the church, you can decide this is the cause of the curse and come back and explain that the Pale is coming for us and it's here right now in Martinez and that's what's caused the curse. Yeah. That's what's caused the doom of this financial district. That's what caused the revolution to fail. Yep, you can decide that the pale in the middle of this town is essentially what has caused all of the bad shit that's gone down in this town. Or your shivers can tell you that her dice-making business has not failed because that's actually the smokestack of the building next door and it was just adjoined to this one so that, that yeah, she is immune to it because it's not technically part of the building. There is also the gym downstairs, which, yeah, going physical first playthrough, nailed, lifting the barbell. Also, your brain will notice, if you've gone through it, there is a poster of Contact Mike in the gym. <laughs> Great. Because it was a boxing gym. Um, yep. It was supposed to be a community project for the kids, and you can like, you can laughingly say, well, it clearly didn't work for Kuno, and Kuno S did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea the hole in the church was such a big deal in the rest part of the game. I, I gotta get started on my third playthrough now. This is <laughs> maybe want to replay it again. They actually theorize why she was having trouble communicating there and why they were having difficulties uh, maintaining the radio relay because information gets distorted when it gets passed through the pale and it can pick up other bits of information. Like you can even theorize that the slipstream thing you can call is actually just a memory or a faint thing from the pale the doorbell thing that you can ring yeah the reason that it affects the computing is it sounds like a lot of the computing that they do in this world is in the cloud is that right it's all sort of radio calculations it's in the ether not in the cloud because the cloud kind of hints that there's still like a central server this is just literally in the ether because it's just broadcast and you need to buy airwaves in order to get bandwidth Oh, it's crypto. Mm, like, it's literally broadcast in the physical ether. So it's not really data layer. You can't really have a data layer analogy to this. 
That's where the science fiction part, but the fiction part of the science fiction part comes in. Yeah, but the the pale has been eating transmissions from this company, essentially, is, is why it failed. Yes. The dice maker lady as well, she's got an interesting use because you can ask her to make you a set of dice, which will re-unlock some white checks that you've already failed without you needing to put stats into anything. Yes. But also they'll give you passive bonuses to various things. Or you can just get her to make you a set of dice so you can play RPGs with Kim if you've got spare time. You can't play the RPG. You only yeah. ever get the expansion to the RPG. You don't get the base game. Yeah, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> but you can pick up some dice from the box, which also gives you bonuses to other checks. Once you kind of, you know, warn people of the doom in the doomed commercial area. Which includes the whirling in rags, you find out. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Because there was a doomed pinball. What, like just pinball bar? Yeah. Pinball workshop. We didn't talk about it when we first talked about pinball, but um, when you go to the pinball area, you get a thought like, you're like, Kim, Kim, where have I heard that name? Kim Kitsuragi. Kimball? You're Kimball Kitsuragi, aren't you? And he's like, oh no. Of all the memories to come back. It turns out like one of his first jobs was infiltrating an underground pinball gambling ring. Juvenile gang. <laughs> yeah, he learnt to be the best pinball player in Revachol, essentially, in order to infiltrate this gang. And he hates pinball as a result. Yeah, and you can choose to call him Kimball from then on in the game. When you do return to the church, however, you kind of sort out everything between them. You let the people move in without their drug lab and stuff. And you you brought back the uh, like on-site cash from Fortress Accident. You can finally basically hear the pale. Egghead just like runs it through the speakers. Yeah, because at first you tried the normal headphones Suna brought, but you only hear like a slight pressure change if your hearing is high enough. And that clues you in that you might need better speakers in order to make whatever uh, Suna's trying to record audible. You get Egghead to run it through his subwoofers and it makes an ungodly awful noise. This is a good point to bring up actually some of the technical difficulties with the game. The game has volume sliders for music, sound effects and talking. But some sound effects just will not be affected by your change to the volume sliders. So yes. this is one of them, and it is really loud and really hurts your ears. Some of these sound effects are really loud in really off ways. Like, for example, there's, a, there's an old lady as well you can do a side quest for with the cryptids we haven't discussed yet. But once you complete that side quest, there's another sound that she makes as she zooms away with her chair that's like... It's like that they just recorded a radio control car with the mic attached near the electrical motor and then just blasted it off because it's really loud. You cannot mute it and it it goes through your earphones. It's it's really, really annoying. Am I the only person who played this game on speakers? Yes. Yes. <laughs> none of those sounds were super off. I have these nice big old studio monitors. Yeah, none of that ever got to me. Made the game sound great, too. I mean, the game sounds fine. It's just some things are always at the maximum volume. You can't turn them down. But yeah, so you play the pale through these speakers and it gets you kind of scared. But also you realize that this would be the perfect sound to pump up the bass in Egghead's anodic dance music track. 
Before we move on, let's talk about how the sound of the pail is described. When you play it through the speakers, what you hear is just some drums, some rattling. But the way it's described is more like a silent earthquake. Like what will happen is you will see the water in the in the audio equipment to record it is, is starting to boil. The whole church is shaking apart and the sound itself it doesn't seem to be coming from anywhere except from from within you. You can also get Harry to sing the lyrics to I Wanna Dance With Somebody at this point. Yeah, at this point you can you can pick some uh, really interesting dialogue. Once you get the anodic dance music up to its like maximum hardcoreness, you then are able to do a dance during the playing of this song. I will say real quick, the way that you do that though is you explain side chaining. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, which is which is like a wonderful little thing because like it, it the game roughly takes place. It feels you know just with like the computing power and stuff like that. It feels like roughly kind of like in the age. Like side chaining, it was like actually a pretty big thing for electronic music, just just stylistically. So it's like, yes, you help you help bring in this new era of hardcore, and they even say it's like, yes, you introduce the void into music. It's it's the hardest possible core. <laughs> then you invent the future of dance at the same time by cutting your moves on the dance floor. And you can get the other people in the church to dance with you as well. Like, everyone except Suno will dance, but you get a really hard authority check to make Kim dance as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a code 31, officer in need of assistance on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. If you fail it, though, you say, we, we talked about it in the first part, but you, you say some unrepeatable things to Kim of a racist nature, and he instantly leaves the church, and then I think he leaves you for the day to go and think about about what you've done yeah it's, it's it's and i thought that that was going to be what actually got you the low point with kim because that seemed like a really low point with kim to me where you just blurred out some racist shit to him and he's like yeah you go on with your dancing i'm gonna go stand outside and after you talk to me yeah i'm not sure if i'm gonna work with you on this case for the rest of the day yeah and it highlights again that kim will tolerate a lot of stuff but he hates racism like with a passion he absolutely hates it and if, if you try to explain yourself to him he asks you when you look at me what do you see and you can reply just a guy and he says yeah but nobody ever says you're a revisholian they always see me as semenese or or a foreigner but i was born and raised here he goes off in a similar way to the racist lorry driver in the beginning got rid of the other one eh good call there's some camaraderie with it because like, yeah, you have the racist lorry driver and then you meet Measurehead and then the cryptozoologist's friend, the Gary, the crypto fascist. Our lucky racist. It's like, don't you remember that when I said like when we find our third racist, it was going to be really something special and you could you could ask Gary to grant you three wishes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a high authority check as well, apparently you can just calm him down and later on you can meet him for pie. Yes. Like if you are if you are a enough of an authoritarian cop you can just go oh calm down son calm down don't worry hey anyway you you got you got some pie for later <laughs> yeah it gets you an achievement and a um cutscene there is a cutscene of you eating gary's pie gary do we want to get into the cryptozoologist part of the game i want to get into one other thing before we go into that because right next to the church you'll find the phone booth 
Yes. Yes. Oh. The phone booth has a hidden boss battle, or basically the equivalent of a hidden boss battle for this RPG. This ties into what we were saying about Dolores Day and your ex-something. You can use, like, your muscle memory to call your ex-girlfriend. Which is an incredibly long phone number. It's like calling an outside number, because she's in a different... Well, she's in a different country, she's in a different isola, so it's a long-ass number. She's in Grad, and no matter when, no matter when you call her, no matter what the time of day it is, you will always call her in the middle of the night. Yeah. I've tried several times of like, okay, now I'm going to skip to like 9am and I'm going to call her at 1, now I'm going to call her at like the night and see if like she's, if like the time changes at all, and it doesn't. But you still don't know who she is when you call her, so you find this really upsetting. Like, If you have seen the mural before, you can recall her name at the end of it. Oh, okay. Look, I don't understand what you're saying or why you're calling me. You seem drunk. You will recall Dora. Like, you, you will even be able to call her Dora, and then there will be a long silence, and then your money will run out, and then you'll beat up the phone booth. Yes. Bringing you closer to the enemy of the physical realm achievement. Fuck up the mailbox. You can fuck up the tree. I was worried you were going to say women there for a second, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) The enemy of the physical realm, women. (laughs) (laughs) Because those jokes do pop up during the game a lot. where you uh, Where you can choose basically to go, Ah, yes, women are the enemy of everything, and I am lonely and sad, and someone hold me. It's got an umlaut on the O, though, so it's women. Yeah. He's too afraid to, to say women. Yeah. He, he, like like how racists and, like, uh, some people online, you know, are sidestep it by, by saying females. And then even are afraid to say that, so they go femoids. Which stat is it that's got a problem with women? It's, like, endurance or physical instrument, isn't it? Physical instrument's more just, like, insecure in its masculinity. I didn't see anything directly, like, misogynistic. It might be endurance, then. I know... If you say enough bad, like, things about women during the game, it's the one, it must be Endurance is the one that pops up and says, hey, you you know uh, how you've been talking about heading woman, yeah? And you're like, wait, no, no, I haven't. What are you talking about? He's like, I get you, friend. No, you're quite happy with woman, right? And then you can get the misogyny thought. I don't know what bonuses it gives you or anything, because I didn't internalize it. You can comment it on several things. So the Dick Mullen book, after Dick Mullen gets laid, uh, Justin's like, ah, she left like all the rest of them do. And the uh, pulp fantasy thing. The man from Heimdall. The Heimdall and the devil woman. You can get a Heimdall shirt as well. And I think you can give it to Kuno. I think that Heimdall is just a reference to like Skyrim-esque fiction. It's Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Heimdall shirt also comments that you are way too old to be wearing it, which is funny. (laughs) It's true, but... Do we want to talk about the cryptozoologists, then? Yes. 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 Morel, cryptozoologist. I'd shake your hand, but... Lena, the cryptozoologist's wife, is one of the first NPCs you meet. I talked to her before I talked to Kim. Hello, sweetie. You shouldn't keep your colleague waiting. Yeah. Yes. You can ask her to join your team as well, and then you think better of it because she's in a wheelchair. Yeah, and then you get really rude about the wheelchair as well. 
but she, she's married to um, the cryptozoologist. He's Australian. I wonder if that's supposed to be like a Steve Irwin kind of reference or something like. I think so. Eh, he doesn't have the same like kind of physical go get itness. Like he, he's dressed more like kind of one of those old English explorers, but the scarf tucked into the jacket. Yeah, the hat. He's not wearing a pith helmet, but like. You can talk to him about cryptids. And if you've talked to Lena about cryptids, you can ask him about specific cryptids that he may or may not have seen. Generally, the cryptids for me went in one ear out the other because I was like, okay, most of these are going to be just nonsensical. Yeah. But because this is a video game, clearly I am going to find the cryptid that you're looking for right now. So I kind of saw it coming with that whole side quest that was like, nah, it's a video game. Sooner or later, we'll find it. See, I had the opposite thing, like, especially after the one more door thought, which, like, lays out to you. It's like, no, you're not going to find out everything. Like, you have to, like, move past this and understand, like, you can't get into everywhere. And I actually finding the uh, Insulidian Phasmid was furthest thing from my mind for a good chunk of the game. Yeah, I was very surprised. I love the cryptid stories. Kim will eventually tell you to stop asking about them, but eventually you can convince him to, to like, get interested in them. He's a skeptic, of course. You can tell he's interested in listening, though. Like, uh, I think one of your skills will tell you. Uh, you can tell, actually, he does want to hear. He's just being sensible because he's on the job. We'll be on our way soon. Thank you again for lending a hand. They ask you to sort of check their traps for phasmids while they go back to the whirling in rags and then you have to bait the traps and things and it all feels like it's going nowhere, really. Checking the traps just has you walking all around the coast. It's pretty boring, but it does like give you a better mental map of where everything is if you haven't explored much. It is one of those things, though, it feels like almost like when we talked about the racist mug earlier, which we'll get onto in a second, but like it feels like you're doing busy work to almost prove the point that you shouldn't bother doing everything that people ask you to in a video game because it's not all going to be rewarding. Yeah. Although, again, it is rewarding in this game, like the racist mug, which we find out belongs to Gary, the crypto-fascist. Hello, I'm Gary. How do you do, officer? Very good segue. <laughs> and you can find out about that as well if you opened the, the door for Everard and went inside. You could compare the racist mug to the other racist mugs and go, whoever lives here... Prol is the owner of the mug. When you first approach him, he says to you, hello, officer, and then he sees Kim and just shouts, yellow man. <laughs> yellow man. I, I mean, officer. And it's like, well, you're not even trying to hide the fact that you're a fucking racist, are you? <laughs> yeah, crypto fascist is not a is not an appropriate like moniker for him. He is the obvious racist openly. And he also refers to Reva Shawl as Reva Call, which one of the loading tips will actually tell you is the dumb way of pronouncing it. It's like a racist dog whistle type thing. Like racists call this Reva Call, everyone else says Reva Shawl. Crypto fascism is actually a thing in real life as well um it's described as the secret support for or admiration of fascism so it's someone who who keeps hidden their admiration of fascism or their fascist tendencies because they've got political reasons to appear like they're not a fascist also to describe someone who just basically is unknowingly kind of carrying water for that ideology 
Yeah, whether knowing or unknowing. You can point this out actually with, I believe, Andre. It's not Egghead, but you can point out to Andre. It's like, huh, like wanting to return to a primordial state, saying that you're ignoring the left and right, talking about kind of unity. Like that does sound, it does sound vaguely fascist just in terms of sort of their Ur myth that they tell about themselves. But he is not exactly hiding it and is not unaware of it. He's also, you find out, stolen some of the armor from the corpse. So you can steal the corpse's boots and you can shake down Gary for the, I think it's the cuirass, the like the breastplate of it. Yeah, the shirt. Yeah, because you hear if your perception is high enough, which you get a bonus for if you've talked to the cryptozoologists enough about one particular species of crypto bird. If you internalize a thought from that, you get massive bonuses to perception because you're always trying to hear this like bird. The Koldamakwa. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So you hear the tinkling of his armor and you're like, right, give me that armor or I am sending you to prison. I love how fast Gary folds when you pressure him on anything. He's the least intimidating fascist of all time <laughs> like he's pathetic like a fascist he loves the cops and when the cops tell him to do something he obeys like a good boy i am the law your authority stat will tell you this guy loves cops you can tell him to do anything there's so many ways you can like get dirt on him because you can present him with the mug you can tell him you've been in his apartment and you work for Everard. you can like and you can tell him that because he's he was close to the scene of the crime he is a suspect yeah and that he is uh, a suspect for hiding the victim's clothes and cleaning the body yeah so there's there's tons of ways you can basically rumble him and get this this shirt off him but that's kind of it for their side quest. What else is there that we can talk about in terms of... Oh, there's the, the painting on the wall as well, which is a good one. Yes. There's a painting on the wall and then there's the statue with the truckers, both of which tie to the art cop. And the implication that Harry might actually have an art degree. An actual art degree, which is the thought you can internalize. I'm Cindy the fucking skull. You meet a character called Cindy the Skull, who is a member of the Skulls gang, which you can talk to two other characters whose names are Fuck the World and Piss. I'm not going to say the next part. It's a homophobic slur. Snazzy shit rip Skull Mobile like this would make a fine trophy. Hey, p look who it is. It's the bully. They're checking out Kim's car and you can steal their jackets. <laughs> you can bully them for their jackets for uh cindy i fucked this quest up the first time the actual way to get the brush the actual easiest way is to fail that check and she'll just feel sorry for you and toss the brush down to you if you succeed and then tell her the wrong thing you later have to make an authority check to get it from her you see this blank wall and you're like i'm gonna paint something there and you go talk to her and you have to conceptualize and tell her what you're gonna draw on this wall and the pass for the check is that you tell her that you're gonna make a phoenix and do it in like motor oil paint so that then you can set fire to it and she's like well that sounds better than anything i've ever come up with so why don't you just take my job then you asshole and you don't actually have the technical skill to do that at all you can wind up writing several things on there one of them i think is i love kuno <laughs> you can write fuck the police which is what i went with and then kuno says that he thinks it's really cool so that's one way you can earn kuno's favor yeah and kim will be puzzled by it <laughs> going but we are the police any other side quest things 
Anybody find any other contact mic references? There's the homosexual underground. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. there's the smoking on the balcony guy. Played by Virgil Texas. Yep. My Sunday friend is visiting me tonight. I told him about you, and he'd like to say hello. There's his friend who's basically from Moral Intern. It's his Sunday friend. The smoking man is just kind of like his lover when he visits Revachol. He has some interesting dialogue options, by the way, the Sunday friend, if you time it right. My name is Charles Villedron. I am an official with the coalition government. If you know Clash's backstory and you've given her the station call so she stays until you get to the tribunal and then you get to the Sunday friend and talk to him, you can actually outright sell out Clash there and then to the moral intern. Does that do anything if you do it? Yeah, he will directly just go and arrest her oh, okay. right there and then. Like, instead of you having to hear about it afterwards at the epilogue of the game where you hear that, you know, oh, she's in a cell, she's coming off all her drugs. Some people are flashing moral intern badges and about to take her away. Oh, cool. What you can also do is you, you can just outright threaten to arrest him, which is what I did on one of my playthroughs as well. I was like, I don't, I don't like you being here. I was, Excuse me, sir, can I see your paperwork? Yeah, this doesn't check out. You're under arrest. And then he goes, but I have diplomatic immunity. It's like, I don't give no shit about no diplomatic immunity. You're under arrest, soldier. And he gets really pissed off. And Kim then jumps in between you two to, in order to prevent you being able to arrest your boss, essentially. Your reason for talking to the smoking dude to begin with is because his balcony faces the murder scene. So he could have seen what happened. He's really evasive about it. You can select that Harry is kind of enchanted by this guy, like, wow, he's so mysterious, I need to know more. And that unlocks you a thought about the homosexual underground. You you decide to, like, figure out what's different about him, and you come to terms with, like, his sexuality, and if you internalize the thought, you realize it doesn't matter if he's a homosexual. I should take everyone sort of for who they are, not who they want to shag. The thought text does mention, like, you think for a second, it's like, wait, was I gay? The bonus for the thought when you complete it is, like, you have stopped obsessing about sexuality, your own and others. And that unlocks the dialogue option with Kim, where he will mention that he's also a member of the homosexual underground. And that's the only thing that this thought really does. It doesn't give you any bonuses to anything. Yeah. Can Harry have a gay revolution here? Like, No, you decide that it doesn't matter, but it's most likely that Harry was straight anyway. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Anything else for side quests? Everett's project we've talked about briefly, but Everett asks you to get a couple of signatures for sort of him reconstructing the fishing village. He blackmails you into doing that because otherwise he's not going to help you get your lost gun. Yes, so you, you need to do this. The two characters are the washerwoman and the lady with the sword, the fishwife lady who you can take on a date. It's a little tricky because you have to kind of convince them to sign, but you can also just get the drunks to sign it, which isn't as legally binding, but it gets you the quest complete, so it doesn't matter. You can also just forge the signature. I don't know if the outcomes to this quest are different depending on who you get to sign it, though. No, it isn't. Because you put it in a mail. Yeah. So the outcome's not going to be until days later anyway. It's just going to go down later, after the game is done. Yeah, it's not in the game, nor is it in the epilogue. It might have consequences for the next game or expansion, or it might not. Who knows? That gets you the information on where to get your gun back. So Everett tells you that there is a lady who bought your gun from the pawn shop after you pawned it. She refers to herself as The Pigs, and you can meet her on the boardwalk late one night. This is The Pigs. Show me your hands right now! And she is absolutely insane. 
Yeah, she is a volatile homeless woman who collects police items and just wears them. Yeah, she's got like a big siren on her back that she hand cranks to make it like light up and, and whistle. She starts pointing your gun at you and at this point things get scary because like you've got to make a hand-eye coordination check or a reaction speed check I think to try and get the gun off her and wrestle her to the ground. Or you can remember that it doesn't have any bullets in it. Yes. Or you can find out about that by just you know getting scared losing you know a health to what you think is a heart attack until you realize there wasn't a gun. There wasn't like a bullet coming out of the gun. So you just get your gun back off this lady. I think you can get your hat back off her as well yes oh that's where you get your hat police hat yeah if you if you stick around and talk to her again and if you grab it also on the boardwalk you find a dead body of a man it's a side quest you take from a woman who is shopping at the bookstore to find her husband who she insists isn't lost but you convince her that she hasn't seen him in two days so he's gone missing hello i'm billy would you like something to drink and he's just gotten drunk, fallen through the boardwalk and cracked his head on, like, the railing. This side quest doesn't really do anything for you other than get you some experience, but... It's a bit of a reality check from all the wacky hijinks you get up to, where it's just, like, you and Kim just bumbling around the town having some fun, and it's, like... It's standard police work for this game. You have to break it to, to the woman. Kim like advises you on how to do it because he knows you'd fuck it up there's a check for it and if you fail it you you do really fuck it up your son got owned in iraq semper fire whatever yeah something to that effect you more or less say is like uh well guy dead law later yeah the reality check bit actually rings really true that's what i remember best from the side quest is one of your skills pops out to say like this could have easily been you he just like got drunk fell over and died yeah yeah mm -hmm. life is fragile I got the thought, the wasteland of reality from the crab man. I didn't see if there was anything that specifically came up with that, like, if you choose to get sober. No, the crab man rags on you for being a drunk regardless of w whatever you do. I bet your alcohol use has made you into a scared little pussy, Holmes. Even if you already picked, like, a wasteland of reality thought, if you internalize the race theory, and then you talk to Measurehead about, well... Whatever this race theory is about, it's clear to me I need to stop drinking. If you keep going with that, you actually do get a wasteland of reality thought early. If you internalize that, even if you have it and you talk to the crap man, he'll still tell you to stop drinking. Oh, well, I was also wondering if it flags for the uh, the dead husband thing. No, it, it doesn't change anything with it because right. it was one of the first thoughts I internalized. And it's, it's a bit... For a game that has so many, like, branching dialogue choices and stuff, it's a bit upsetting that you can be completely sober throughout the game and, like, decide to quit drinking in your thought processes and nobody really brings up the fact that you've sobered up a lot. Because you stink of alcohol. Like, the damage is done. Like, you still, like, just after so many years, you do still look like a raging alcoholic and you're also talking to your brain and... Parts of your body will tell you, this will take a few months. You won't be able to recover in this damage in the course of this game but this does finally bring us to the railroad at the end of the game yeah which is one of those shivers moments that is just you know it's you're you're just looking at the big mural on the side of the uh of the old uh, electrical place right there's a character here who i want to bring up just because he's quite funny is his name trent i wrote it down as trent but it might be trent hello i'm trent heidelstam I believe we've met on several occasions. He's an absolute nerd. He's here looking at, at like a 
tech lab that has closed down with his son like they've taken a holiday here essentially and you can talk to him about a place called the Wompty Dompty Dom Center which he says is a center in Oranje which is the Netherlands and I can tell you we would have something that stupid <laughs> like I can guarantee you we have something that stupid I'm just not aware of it I love the skill pop-ups for this like reaction speed goes wait did you say Wompty Dompty Dom Center and one of the others is like, yes, he did. He said it as if it was the most natural thing in the world. Wompty Dompty Dom Center. It's a really good thought to internalize the what is the Wompty Dompty Dom Center uh, thought because it gets you money and experience every time you do a passive encyclopedia. Yeah. Which is amazing if your encyclopedia stat is high. Oh, yeah. No, it, it goes everywhere. All those contact mic references. Yeah, get this as early as possible. It is one of the best skills, I would say. That and I would also say uh, the equivalent with conceptualization. Yes, and communism as well. The building then. So Shivers basically tells you, you should check this building out. It's it, it's important. It finally tells you where the hood at. <laughs> it does, actually. <laughs> This Shivers check gets a, a bonus from a few things. A lot of things. It gets a bonus from a lot of things. Like... A lot of them have to do with how many side quests you've been doing in the coast. How much you've been helping the people of the coast. You get plus three for doing the church side quest. You get plus three for going on the date. Talking to the city. You get plus one for making the uncomfortable phone call. You get plus one if it is raining or snowing, I think, as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a specific Shivers location that, like, you walk by there at one point and it says, come back here when it's snowing. Yes. And you get another one of those big zoom out moments where, you know, it describes like the different parts of uh, different parts of the world. Um, You're kind of getting to know the city and the city helps you out because of it. Speaking of the city, because we haven't really talked about it, but you can talk to the city when you're dancing and you pass out in the church when you do that quest. If your reaction speed is high enough, you will actually be able to hear that the city is in distress. It's scared. And that's why it's talking to you, like, directly. And it gives you a bit of sequel bait for the next game, where it says, Revachal is doomed. In 20 years, I will die. Like, the, the city says, I will die. It will be through nuclear hellfire. The first shot will be fired in 20 years, and you are the only one capable of preventing it. Now, that, to me, shouts sequel bait. There's a lot of dialogue that hints at there's something going to happen right around the corner. Revolution, an apocalypse... Some shit is about to go down, like, soon. If you do the side quest for Joyce and Everard, where you ferry the messages, you will also get a little a little hint that says there's going to be a war, and with the amount of weapons still in Revachal from the revolution, there's going to be a massive flow of arms into the hands of angry people. Yeah. So something's going to happen. Something go is going to go down. But for the moment, you break into this building, and there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can either choose to scale a really rickety ladder that Kim won't go up with No, you, you can't choose to scale it. You tell because they didn't animate it. <laughs> Let's be fair, that's the reason. You say to Kim, look, I teleported. And Kim says, no, you just closed your eyes and climbed up the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> you teleported, yeah. That's such a Simpsons joke, it's great. Or you can just find the back way in, which is underneath the boardwalk. Yep. And then you begin your walk to confront Ruby, I guess. If you haven't gotten it yet, there is a hat that will allow you to grow in Mazovian socioeconomics. Yes, you get a plus one. And there's an also, I think, a jacket 
that also helps. But you find this in like a bunker that is left over from the revolution and you do a ballistics check here to see whether the sniper shot that killed the hanged man came from here and you determine this is not one of the places it could have come from. So at this point in the game you've probably checked all three places that the bullet could have been fired from other than the one on the island that you can't get to. In that same bunker, you will check the second firing point. You you can determine it didn't it didn't come from those two spots, and it didn't come from the roof. So you've eliminated all the other possibilities. Yeah, the island's the only thing that that's remaining. But at this point, like at this point, you're just going for Ruby still. You walk into the confrontation with Ruby. You get like your thoughts basically say, or maybe Kim says, you know, this is it. This is the point of no return. Go finish your side quests if you haven't done yet. Yes. Is it here that the necktie says to you as well, dip me in the spirits? After the confrontation with Ruby and you walk through that exact same part of the cave, if you have your necktie equipped, it will tell you, brother, now is the moment. And uh, you will just awkwardly start taking off your tie and stuffing it into the bottle of spirits without telling Kim anything as he just awkwardly looks at you and like asks you, what are you doing? And you can tell him that it's a family tradition to put objects of clothing into spirits when someone dies. It's a family tradition to make a Molotov cocktail. So you confront Ruby and she hits you with a pale emitter. A latitude compressor. Yes, basically it's a device used to compress distance in the pale, force dimensions on it, on something that doesn't have dimensions so that the distance across it is shorter and like when you travel through the pale it's less risky and you won't get lost in the actual pale and just end up in no man's land essentially get stuck in limbo forever the actual effects are yeah they're really painful you can't move i know you're feeling pretty uncomfortable right now don't move too much or fight it that'll just make it worse Although you get a physical instrument check to, like, fight through the pain and break the emitter that she's using. It's pain threshold. I think this is the only time pain threshold is significant in the main story. Other than breaking down that door in the commercial district, yeah. Which you can also ask the key for. Yeah. The problem with doing that is, like, it seems like the obvious thing to do. Like, I want my character not to be getting damaged by this thing anymore. Let's break it. And if you do the check there and you break it, the confrontation completely ends and that you don't learn any information from Ruby whatsoever, which is what happened on my first playthrough. On my second playthrough, I stopped to talk to her while getting damaged by this, like, pale emitter latitude compressor thing the whole way through, and she gives you some really valuable information. Things you can ask her about. You can ask her about what happened with the hanged man, and she gives you the impression that actually it was Clastia's idea to stage the hanging rather than hers which is completely opposite to what you were working on up until this point, like, because Clastia told you that it was Ruby's idea. Clastia's a spy and Ruby's a trucker, so I think Ruby might have a point here. Yeah, and she basically tells you she's scared of you because she thinks you work for a mob boss. Yes, yes, La Puta Madre. Yes, and at that point you also become paranoid that you might be working for La Puta Madre. Yeah. Yeah, um, I talked to Titus about this and he says actually Ruby wasn't planning on running away after she killed the guy, but after she heard you were investigating the case, she left. Because she was scared of you. You've got a reputation for being someone who can, like, get anyone to answer any questions that you want. They call you the human can opener because you're so good at getting information out of people. And so she was scared of you specifically coming for her. If it was any other police person, she probably wouldn't care. Yeah. But regardless of what happens here, I don't think you can arrest Ruby. You can't do anything with her. She gets away. Or... 
She kills herself. Yes. Yes. You can either let her go or she shoots herself. There's no option to shoot her in the leg or try and apprehend her or anything. Well, it's a little hard to shoot her in the leg when she has a gun pointed at her own mouth. True. You know, because any pain is going to trigger a reflex that's going to cause it to shoot herself. So you're stuck. But the weird thing is, like, how bad can Laputa Madre be if she is willing to kill herself rather than be arrested by you and face his wrath? If you do the task for Joyce and you go through her truck, you can actually find out that she used to work for La Puta Madre. So that's why she's really scared. Yeah. Even if you don't find this out from her, she's got a diary in like a little tent that's nearby that tells you about her being afraid of you because you're working for M, which you work out means La Puta Madre if you've talked to her about it. Yes. And at this point, you are doomed to the mercenary tribunal. You will not be able to avoid it, and uh, that's why the tie, the moment you try to exit the cave, tells you now is the time. If Ruby shoots herself, you also get her gun, yes, uh, which is a good substitute for your real gun if you did not get it. Yeah, there's three weapons you can have at this point going into the Mercenary Tribunal. They are your actual gun, Ruby's gun, and also the Spirit Bomb, which is the necktie dipped in the 99.9% uh, .9 alcohol that you buy. It's a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, it's a Molotov. It's a Krasmazov cocktail. Even if you find your gun, you still need to find bullets. And there are three bullets you can find in the game. Oh, wow. So the one in Ruby's shack yeah. that later becomes your shack. And then where are the other two? There's one you can find in the communist apartment, in the apartment blocks, where you have to talk to the smoker to get access to. Is that the one where you meet the estate agent and it seems really out of place? It's that same uh, building block, but it's a door. It's one of the other doors. Okay. It's also where you get to Kuno's dad. Does the estate agent actually do anything? There's a side quest where you basically talk to the lady to find out who she is. Yeah, but it doesn't do anything, does it? You get some shoes and some, some clothes out of the apartment and that's it. Yeah. She's not that interesting and she doesn't have much dialogue written for her. I just remembered you saying shoes. There's a bug in the game where when you collect your shoes right at the start of the game, they're separate, so they're a left and right shoe, and you have to click on like a thought bubble to stick your shoes back together. Otherwise, they will remain as left and right shoe in your inventory for the entire game, and you can't wear that pair of shoes. And you can also just be wearing one of the shoes and never find the other. Yeah. Or like uh, find the other, wear one of the shoes, but never be able to put on the other. Yes, which is what happened to me on my second playthrough. That was like where you can find the second bullet. That's also where you find the bust of Krasmazov. If you already have the communist thought, you can ask Kim and say, hey, don't we look alike? Me and Kras, oh, isn't there a little bit of a, a bit of a likeness? So I think I think I might be Kras. Yeah, actually, I am Kras. And you can pretend that you are Krasmazov's reincarnation from that point on. Yeah, you had the same facial hair, if you're also a communist, uh, the same ideology. But like Kim does point out that there's several big inconsistencies between you and him. The first time I saw a picture of Krasnosov, I thought it was Harry, so... <laughs> the third bullet, I don't remember where you find it exactly. And you can actually end up on three bullets with none of them fired if you just use the spirit bomb and get your gun. Get lost, comedian! You cops had your chance! Now it's fucking time for some justice. Big fuck! I think we should just kill everyone, Corti. 
tribunal. Tribunal. You return to the whirling in rags and you walk right into a standoff outside. This is the boss fight of this coalition, if you can call it that. The Hardy Boys and their lawyer are squaring up against, is it three or four mercenaries? It's three. It's three. Joyce told you about them if you work, if you, you know, help her. And you will basically spot one of them and you will realize that one of them is like probably overlooking and that they're probably in communications with one another, but you didn't realize that there's another third communications officer, so there's actually three of them. The tribunal, you're basically trying to stop the bloodshed. Yeah, the mercenaries are here to kill all the Hardy Boys because they murdered Lily, and they're going to kill them all if you don't intervene. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the, the lead mercenary here, he was posing as the scab leader, the sort of strike breaker. He is Lely, the hanged man's brother, adopted brother. Yeah, you can find out about this if you do the calls and you run the number on the armor. If you do the autopsy 100% correct and you call back every day to ask for more information, eventually the lady helping you will give you the full info she can give you, which is that the owner of the armor was Lely, he was Orange, he was from the Netherlands. I'm not going to call it Orange because it's basically the Netherlands. All the info you can use in order to try and like talk him down but it won't be successful there's no way to to not have anyone be killed here yeah like there's no peaceful solution this pisses me off no it's because these two ideologies cannot synthesize these two are just so diametrically opposed there will not be a joined result like one of the two has to survive at the end of this but the thing i like about this game is that you can you know you can talk your way around problems and Playing it through again, one of the things I wanted to do was see if I could improve the outcome of the Mercenary Tribunal, and the best you can do is have, like, three people die as opposed to six people die, and it just, it feels like you can't win and the game has railroaded you into failure at this point, no matter how well you do on all of these checks, and no matter how clever you are about this, you still just have to shoot this guy in the face or throw a Molotov at him, and then, you know, everyone else gets shot as well it's i really don't like it about the game i don't mind that much there's not always a perfect solution this is just like the inevitability you can't avert this thing and everett knew everett knows this as well which is why he wants the class war he just wants this out in the open and you know for the people of revachal to see it and not be able to ignore it anymore and not be able to turn their eyes away yeah if the harder boys become martyrs that's great for everett oh yeah the best part about this tribunal, though, is if you do have the spirit bomb here and you decide to use it, there's a wonderful little section where the tie that is about to burn up has a little slow-mo moment where it's like, I want to thank everyone gathered here today for seeing me off in these troubling final moments. We had some good times. We had some bad times. Let's go back and relive some of the good times. And then there's a highlight reel of all the nice moments. Like, remember when you when you saw me in that shop? Remember when we had some, when we had those good times when we hung out when we hung out with those college students? Yeah, those were those were fun times, weren't it, buddy? Oh, so it's sad that it had to come to this, huh? Like you have a little epilogue with the tie as you decide to throw it and have it be incinerated. Both times, I actually passed all of these checks fairly easily. They're not the hardest checks to pass, no. Yeah. Also, if you are wearing the shirt from Gary, if you fail to dodge the first shot, the first shot will just ricochet off the uh, plates. And the guy is using an anti-tank rifle to shoot you. 
Like it specifically says, if you get hit by this, it's going to be bad because like your encyclopedia will tell you, oh, this is one of those eight shooters, armor piercing, used against tanks during the Revolutionary War kind of rifles. You don't want to get hit by this dodge. But if you're wearing the kinetic distributing armor from Gary, then you can just fail dodging the first shot. The second shot will hit your pelvis, though, where you will not be able to get the armor for. Again, regardless of what happens, Harry gets shot at this point, and there's nothing you can do to stop him from getting shot. Yes, it's scripted. Even if you cheat at this point, you will always fail dodging the second shot. It just it annoys me that like this is a game about making choices, and no matter what choice I make, I still can't do anything to stop my character from getting shot, to stop these people from getting shot. It's, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, to be honest. I really didn't enjoy this. Well, it's just you're a human, you know, you're, you're role-playing a human. You're in a role-playing game. You're, it's supposed yeah. to sort of have these consequences where you're not a god. But it's it's that illusion that I could have done something differently and it come out better and then finding out that I was wrong about that and it was just a scripted sequence. When I thought so highly of this game up to this point, I was like, oh, okay, it doesn't do anything different here. It's just... Well, let me tell you, because this game is inspired from D&D, every DM I've talked to and like has run me by their campaign and how they run it, they will all say, it's not about forcing your place to railroad so you don't go off book. It's about giving them the illusion that they're able to go off book and then always be able to like improv your way back to this point. You need to have this point pre-prepared so like so they had that point pre-prepared where harry had to get shot for the rest of the game to make sense i think the game could have made sense without harry getting shot i don't think it needs to happen because all that happens is you wake up the next day and it's like shit that didn't go well you wake up days and days later yeah and in between there's a whole lot of things that happen like the harbor gets closed off joyce leaves uh, you know what if they just didn't have the fake check and had harry get shot and just describe it in text. I don't know. I, I still don't think it improves things because, like, even if you go in there fully tooled up in full armor, like, you pass all the checks, you still fail. And that's what upsets me about it, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm less upset about it because I know that even in D&D, where you have a human DM, there are limitations. But the difference is I can't go back and do something different and like still end up with the same outcome. Like the illusion of choice is fine because you never get to go back and see that actually it was an illusion when you're playing with a human DM. DMs will often employ impossible checks to give you that illusion and then fuck you over even if you roll a 20. But that's just a limitation because I can't let the players do this because then we're going so far off book, I will never be able to get back on book. Yeah. And then I will have written out this entire campaign for nothing. I mean, they specifically mentioned it when they're talking about Fortress Accident that like this game died because of feature creep. I mean, Disco Elysium itself like went through so many rewrites and, you know, like was initially titled then uh, you can actually attempt to name the dance club. There's no truce with the Furies. It was such a long development process that I can see like exactly why why it's like all right we're getting to the end and so we do need to at least railroad you towards where we want this conclusion to be because I think the ending which we're about to move on to is very very strong I also don't like the ending but we'll get on to that the thing I want to talk about in the shootout though is Kim can get shot here and he is gone for the rest of the game right yes he doesn't get killed though no he goes to hospital 
but you can recruit Kuno to be your sidekick in Kim's place. If you didn't fuck him over in the drug deal you make when you do a side quest for his dad. Yeah. Because you do have to give him that speed, otherwise he's not going to join you. So you can split a kilo of cocaine, which is actually more like a gram of cocaine with Kuno. Yeah. Or speed, I think it is, actually. And yeah, then you can recruit him to be your partner for the rest of the game. What all picks it! And he's got unique dialogue and... Uh, you know why you recruit Kuno, right? No, because I've not played it and I only found out about it afterwards. There's a very simple, good reason for it. You know when you first take speed and you talk to Kim? Hey, Kim, if you want to be a really good detective, you got to use speed. So, Kim, are you a really good detective? Now, Kim doesn't use speed, but Kuno, Kuno does. See, that's how you know Kuno's going to be a great detective. This game's got a very pro-drugs attitude. <laughs> What does Kuno S think about Kuno joining you? Thinks it's incredibly lame. I'm upset that Kuno S's storyline never went anywhere, and again, it might have been expanded if they'd had more time to work on the game, but you get this sense that she's done illegal things in the past, potentially killed people, but like you can't explore it in any way. There is a chance that the expansion pack might like add more dialogue and flesh it out, because so far, with all the patches they've done, they have continuously kept polishing all the things that need polish. Yeah. So we've gotten more animations. Uh, we've gotten more weather effects. We've got expanded dialogue. We've got the hardcore mode. But yes, so this kind of brings us towards the end of the game. You, you know, wake up, you're pretty fucked up. Kim basically says like, yeah, we kind of fucked up royally, but we did the best we could. Mm hmm. Almost every NPC has some kind of reaction when they're still out in the streets after this. Yeah, they will all have like something to say on what you did and how you did it. Yeah, yeah. Depending on how you did the game, whatever Cindy the Skull will write in front of the Whirling in Rags will be different. Oh, oh okay. I didn't realize that. My first playthrough, I got the Phoenix. My second playthrough, she wrote in French, something new is coming. On my fourth playthrough, she wrote the change three times, which is the reference to what Clasha tells you is coming, like the coming change that is constantly talked about in corporate espionage. And you can complete the intended art piece and set it on fire. Yes. Yes. Yep. And you have the option to just stand there looking, you know, you know, just looking out over it. And the, the game compliments you for looking badass. And you decide that there's only one place left to check where a shot could have come from to hit the hanged man. You either decide this because you go and have a look at the ballistics again and you go, well, it's the last place we haven't checked. Or if you didn't arrest Clastia, then she leaves a string tied pointing to where the bullet came from to sort of the radio antenna that's on top of the whirling in rags to sort of map the trajectory for you. And she has absconded and left and presumably won't show up to her court case that you've given her the slip for mm. station call yes and if you did arrest her and if you didn't figure out the visual calculus at this point you're just left aiming you're just left uh, wandering aimlessly it's uh it's a bit of an interesting state for the game to be in because you basically have to retry the visual calculus on that window over and over again until you succeed and you finally oh wait there's a spot we haven't uh, checked out yet 
So potentially you could get into a locked out state here where very unlikely, but you just have rolled failures too many times and you don't have enough stat points for visual calculus to like you can if you're very unlucky and to be honest there is like uh if you're still internalizing the precarious world thought which you get from the doomed commercial area side quest you can actually run into that because i have forgotten on several places that i was internalizing that thought and while you're internalizing it all red checks are guaranteed failures yes it's a great time to play suzerainty yes <laughs> Or, or what I did on my fourth playthrough, I knew that if you talk to Joyce and you fail a check, it's a better outcome. I just started internalizing that thought, did the check, and then turned it off. <laughs> so you go to the island. The fisher lady has finished tarring her boat, and you ask her if you can borrow it to go to the island. Yes, and uh, regardless of whether or not you choose to blast Sad FM, the music will always be playing. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you tell Kim to row the boat while you stand on the prow of it and just, like, stick Sad FM on the radio yes. on your boombox that you've got. If you don't own the boombox, what happens? Do you just not get the... I think the song just plays, but it's... Uh, the song it's, just plays. It's, uh, it's non-diegetic. <laughs> Even if you don't choose to play Sad FM, you'll just be standing on the front of the boat without the boombox but with your arms to the side. So it's you look more like a general at that point, which is... <laughs> yeah, you look heroic. I got this because I didn't have the boombox. It's just a, yeah, it's a nice musical interlude, I guess you'd call it. So there's not much to do on the island. We talked about the final dream already where you confront Dolores Day or your ex-something or, or whatever. Then really from there it's just you unlock a gate and you confront the real murderer. You find out that, yes, the shot most likely came from here. You find like a sniper's nest on the top of the island. And then you go down to a beach and you find an old man sat there with a military-grade rifle that matches the type that would have fired the bullet that you found in the head of the hanged man. Yeah. Yes, and earlier before you open the door, you find the sniper's nest from which he took the shot. And you say, even with a pair of binoculars, Kim, I could look straight into the room. I, I could make the shot, Kim. I could make it. Humble brag. Yeah. <laughs> There's this whole string of thought throughout the game where you can, like, have the working theory that Harry did it and then, like, got so drunk he forgot that he did it. So Yes, you can even confess it to Kim. Yeah. yeah. Which he ignores. And then you can, like, you're basically retroactively trying to solve your own greatest murder case that you, you came up with by doing the murder. But no, the real killer is this old man who you've never met before and who is subtly hinted at throughout the game, maybe if you're paying really, really much attention. He is. What is it? What do you want from me? I can't go. 
the second time through, the clues they leave for him and like some of the inconsistencies they leave for him do make it like kind of clear. From my first playthrough, I thought it was pretty clear the shot came from the island and not from anywhere else. Because like the moment I was in the tunnel with Ruby, I was like, oh, so he didn't game from here. So it couldn't have been Ruby. All right. Well, also the inconsistencies, like no one heard the shot upstairs. No one knew what the tunnels were for, despite those being like kind of like instrumental in one of the working theories. If you get the visual calculus right, you can see like a couple of different points, but you go to each one and they don't add up. But you see from one of the points that there's that old type of cigarette that you find out later that this guy smokes. You can also find other things that this guy has been shooting at. Yes. 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 Including the statue in the in the square. Yeah, the statue of the... The king. The suzerain, right? Yeah. Long story short, this guy is an angry old communist who just sits on this island and looks at Martinez and shoots stuff he doesn't like. It's his form of uh, materialist critique. Yes. And he he was in love with Clastia, you can find out if you get your checks right. Like He was peeping on her, yeah. 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 Well, in lust. In love is a questionable... Because uh, he also despised her for, like, betting a fascist. The little peephole behind the whirling in rags that's in the pinball sort of section. You find footprints there that match his foot size. And it's likely that he was peeping on her while she was sleeping and while she was having sex with Laylee and stuff. So he formed some odd attraction to her and presumably no one ever saw him coming in or out because he used the back exit, even though he's got to get in through the kitchen. No, no, no. He says I could just be in the open for the sections where I needed to be because people just looked at me like I was some weirdo and didn't interact with me. I didn't need to hide. Yeah, there's like a lot of shuffling kind of homeless people. After a while, he didn't need to hide anymore because there were no longer like death squads out on the streets hunting communists from the revolution. Yeah, he mentions Rene. He particularly despises him. So Rene, the loyalist who you absolutely destroy in his stupid game of bull. <laughs> dunk. He mentions that like on one of the black days, like one of the days where he plans to kill himself, he wants to shoot Rene first and you can break it him that Renee dies a few days into the game. Yeah, you can also steal Renee's clothes after he dies because they're in his monitoring booth, and then you can wear them to see Everard. And Everard's like, Why are you wearing Renee's clothes? <laughs> Mr. Dubois, why on earth are you dressed like my recently deceased security guard? Yeah, I do like when people do comment on like video game logic, you know, like when you're in like an RPG and you just try and like loot goblin stuff inside someone's house. So we'll go like, what are you doing? Very few games actually go that far, though. And even Disco Elysium still lets you open all those apartments and just go in and just say, hey, let's look, let's look at this. Oh, there's a jacket. Let's let's take it. Uh, it's the same with Kim pointing out your jam rock shuffle. That's also in that category. Yeah. Yeah, it's also that. And you also have, of course, in the final dream, Dolores says, ah, this is just another one of your lists, isn't it? And you go, no, the trees, <laughs> the dialogue trees. You can basically get this guy angry enough that he admits to shooting the hanged man. And this comes back to the hanged man's ghost telling you that communism killed him, but love did him in. It was an ex-communist soldier that killed him. And it was because he was in love with Miss Orangi disco dancer, Klaasje. Yes. Or rather, Lely and Klaasje had a relationship that did that was that love did him in. Not really that. Again, I still am not convinced he loved Klaasje. He was fixated on her. He he was he was obsessed with her and was jealous of the physical intimacy. Yes. 
he did bring her flowers after he shot Laylee. That was a bit weird to me. And that's another one of the loose ends, too. Yeah, so you can catch, like, the petals of a flower on the roof, and you find out they only grow on this island, is yes. how you link it to him, right? He flat admits it, too. If you gotta do, like, uh, to, to say it out loud, he'll say, like, she was in mourning, you know, I, he didn't like seeing her sad. It's like Robin Williams' one-hour photo in love. It's not like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's not it's not obviously not reciprocal because she doesn't know who the fuck this guy is. I've got a theory about that actually because it doesn't all tie together too nicely even when you find out that this guy did it. And I'm wondering if Clastion knew about him because this guy has worked for Everart before. He killed the previous union boss, which is how Everart got the position. And the assumption is that Everart paid him off to do that because Everart knew about him. So the question is, did she know about him as well? And did she kind of trick him into killing this guy to inflame the situation with the hanged man? I mean, that that could be that could be a thing. There is a clue that is that Clasha and the and the island did actually talk before you arrived. He is aware of like where she keeps her documents, her fake identity, and like is aware of things that he shouldn't be in that sense. Well, no, but he also does get that just from watching her because he is fixated, and she does like go out there to leave it there. And he says he went there specifically and looked at it and then put it back. The thing is, though, like, what did Class just stand to gain from the hanging being staged and everything? Because, like, if she was so worried about being discovered by the moral intern, she wouldn't want the police involved and she would have got out of there as quickly as possible, right? So my theory here is that she was working to inflame the tension between the Union and the Wild Pines. Or she was just really in love with the fascist death squad, dude. Yeah, all that. Look, Clastia might know about this guy, but in order for her to plan all this, she also has to know that, one, he's obsessed with her, and two, he's obsessed enough to kill a guy who's fucking her. Well, she was a spy, so she... I think he would have shot the fascist death squad guy anyway, because mm. Everard, that was Everard's big deal. That's a fair point. He had reason to hate this guy anyway. I honestly, I never thought that what he did was a bad thing throughout the whole game, because I thought he was a, I was like, yeah, no, the guy deserved to die. That guy did suck. Yeah, like a, a whole bunch of fucking war crimes, like a fucking, yeah, just... The guy's better off dead than alive, seriously. Like, it's just a no-brainer to me. Like, this guy should have died. End of story. The other thing about this, though, is that Class just clearly wasn't scared of the fact that you could clearly shoot her while she was on the roof. Like, she spends the entire game up on the roof, so she must have known she was not at any further threat from this sniper. So she never had reason to believe that the sniper was trying to kill her for being a spy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, again, she wouldn't have stayed on the roof. She would have stayed downstairs or, you know, left town. So yeah. I feel like she was in on it and it's just not told to you, really. I got that feeling as well, which is why I just on one of my playthroughs, I just outright arrested her yeah. and then sold her out to the moral intern while Kim, being compromised, I told him, Kim, 
You're compromised, okay? This lady's going to jail. I think she was playing a many-faceted game. She seduced Laylee because she knew that would upset this old dude so that he would shoot the guy and then she staged the hanging because she was working for Everup potentially to get the union and Wild Pines into a confrontation. I feel like that's the only reason any of this would have happened because otherwise why would she stage the hanging, you know? Also, espionage is her career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And on to top of that, this she wouldn't be a stranger to doing this and then having to disappear and she was very well prepared to already do that as you find out. One of the things they mention is that like while she may not have met him, Everard absolutely has like Everard knows brother both came to the island directly when they were like way less fat. Yes. <laughs> and and it was actually, it wasn't even like a bribe thing. It was specifically like an ideological thing. Unity, solidarity. The deserter literally thought that it's like, oh, these guys, they seem reformist, but they are quoting, you know, Krasmazov. Like maybe they're more red than they are pink. Like maybe they actually, you know, kind of know what's up. And then he just like grows to, to just despise them. And he also despises the lack of change and the fact that he knows he's at death's door and the fact that his life happened the way it did because if you just oh, yeah. talk to him holy shit this guy's hella trauma he's been living on this island for like 40 years 44 years well no he's gone back and forth he's gone and done different things he says that he was he was part of like the, the, the military as an ideological officer since he was like a teenager since he was 19 years old or something and like to see everything that your whole youth has been built up and all these dreams crashed down, everyone you've ever cared about slaughtered. And even afterwards, you know, the resistance cells hunted down mercilessly. And even those that, you know, didn't get hunted down just from despair killed themselves. Holy shit. How are you alive? And then you find out it's because of the cryptid. Yeah. Well, yes, yes. So the cryptid is another another big, nice, weird moment in this. Before we talk about the cryptid, can I just say why I don't really like the ending here? Because he's not really connected. Like, like yes. it's only indirectly. Yeah, yeah. You don't. You, he is connected if you look at the bigger picture. Mm. Well, well, in a classic mystery sense, like you're supposed to be able to deduce who done it, even if it is like labyrinthine. That is my problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's like characters who you've already met. I will say I do kind of like the sort of out of nowhere of this because then like you go back and you kind of see it. You see it coming. You see that there are blind spots even when your like stats are incredibly high up. Like the game reminds you of it early on when you talk to, to Kalashia. Like your your volition will tell you. It's like, oh yeah, all of these guys are compromised. I don't know. It grounds it in kind of the world. Like it's it's one of the first parts of the game world that actually does reach really back into the history like you're actually talking to like sort of a like a living relic of this thing that you've only seen like just other references to yeah but i also think it's part of the overarching narrative where it's like a clash of ideologies and if you look at the history of the world that they are in it's like a repeat of this revolution again it's like another change another thing that's coming just like in the real world how the first revolution was sparked by a pandemic of Tsaranth, a virulent prion disease that, you know, when the ruling parties were proving themselves to be inept and incapable and unwilling to step up to the challenge of dealing with this, Krasmazov and his party did it instead. 
it's again what Lenin said as well. There are whole decades in which nothing happens, and then there are whole weeks in which decades happen. The other real world connection I would draw from this is that this guy is so ideologically driven. Like, even if you have internalized everything about communism and blah, 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 and you tell him, he's just like, no, you're a liberalist. You're a liberal and a pederast. He looks at himself as the last vestige of like this communist ideal that he was brought up literally, probably ideologically indoctrinated to, because let's not make any mistakes here. When we're in charge, we will do exact same shit to stay in power as what fascists have done already. Only we're going to be targeting fucking, you know, rich people in order to do it. Telling him you're a communist does nothing because like he cannot conceptualize a cop being a communist. It's that simple for him. But the real world connection I would want to draw is just because this guy is so ideologically committed. Like he is 100% just fully in there. He is the absolute perfect asset. He is a loner. He is a propensity for violence. And he can be pretty easily manipulated through his just dedication to this ideology. So just going to sort of the theory, the class theory of her being an intelligence agent, like this is exactly the kind of person who does wind up as like an asset in a foreign country whenever there's like intelligence operations because it's like, oh yeah, they are violent and you can manipulate them. But also like this guy also has like this autonomous action that he did. Like he didn't do all of it because he was directed to. A lot of it he just did. My working theory is he was manipulated to do it rather than that he did it of his own accord. Yes, he thought he was doing it because he wanted to, but it was because these other people had sort of... I don't really buy into that considering like you have to pull out some things that the game doesn't tell you like well yeah but to work out that this guy did it I've got to pull out some things that the game didn't tell me you're gonna have to add hawk things onto the game in order for the theory to make sense and in my opinion doesn't work but the thing I find unsatisfying about this it's yes it makes sense yes in real life it's not always neatly wrapped up and it's not always someone you've met sort of previously who ties in like Mike was saying like the the classic whodunit is you've got all the players who may have done it in a room and you can pick out who it is before the natural conclusion of the story. Those rules for detective novels and thriller novels were not written until I think, what, the 20th century? But it's it's what you're used to and it's the reason they're done like that is because it makes the reader or the person playing feel clever because they reach the conclusion before the game or book does. I disagree with that completely because for me... I figured out that it was going to be a mystery other guy well, so when I, I eliminated but... all the suspects, but the game wouldn't let you reach that conclusion in game. But to me, I got the same satisfaction from that because I figured out the ending. Like, in the same way as the thriller, I would figure out the ending. But in a thriller like that, all the tools are given to me, the reader, which leads to a completely different kind of mystery story where I'm now going back chapters and like puzzling things together and I'm writing them on and on. And it's like, that's not how I want to read a story. But at the same time, I worked out before I got to the island, you know, it's nobody that I know about. But that doesn't mean I've worked out who it was because I've got no way of working out who it was. I just know that there's someone else. Explicitly in Sherlock, in the novel, it states, if you've eliminated all the other possibilities and you've got one remaining, no matter how crazy that conclusion is, it's the correct one. But... I didn't have one remaining. I didn't. But you did. I, you only, no, no, you only, no, no, had, no, no, you only no. had the island left. I only had the island left. I know that a shot came from the island, but I don't know who shot it. I don't know why they shot it. And I get there and then they tell me who they are and why they did it. And it's like, 
well, okay, then why did I do all my detect? Like, you know, there was no point in me talking to anyone about anything that happened. After the autopsy, I found the bullet. Then I can do ballistics to find out where the shot came from. And that's the answer. Like, none of the rest of what you do in the game really matters. No, I disagree. I think the only reason you're there is because you've played through the rest of the game and you've eliminated the rest of these possibilities. And they are still hot leads. Even the thing with Ruby, who she is, you know, not connected. She doesn't necessarily, like, know where the shot came from. She is still somehow tied in with the case. Like, the conspiracy to, like, hang him and make it look like it was connected to the strike and all that shit. Like, that is still a hot lead. But again, I've had to come up with my own conclusions as to why the hanging even took place because it's not really related to the killing. The killer didn't organize the hanging. Other people did. And I've had to come up with my own conclusion as to why Clash just staged the hanging because it's not really given to you in any way in the, in the game. So the crime you've come to investigate is not the crime that you end up solving. I get what you're saying, Specs. I just liked it more from a thematic perspective than I liked it from a me-solving-the-case perspective. Yeah. Like, everything in Revacol... Revo- Sorry, I'm not a racist. Racist! Everything- wow! <laughs> Wow. Everything wow. in Revachol. Wow. I Reva- heard that. I heard that. Everything in Revachol is steeped in this failed revolution at some point. It's affected everyone there and everything there. And the killing just ends up being the revolution getting one last fuck you in. That's what it was all about. And that's what I enjoyed about it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with like the environment, it felt very true detective y. Studio Zom posted a list of influences for this coalition, and True Detective was on the top of that list. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. But uh, yes, the Phasmid. Yes. I fucking like loved this uh, just in how out of left field it was. Like compared to the Deserter, the Phasmid like actually showing up is like, it was such a good turn for me just like right at that moment. Yeah, so uh, like three meter tall stick insect just kind of walks out of the sea towards you and you just start talking to this hyper intelligent like bug that is apparently what the cryptozoologists were looking for the whole time. You say walks out of the sea, but it's been hiding in the reeds the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it disguises itself to look like reeds. And it also has a hormonal chemical it excretes in order to help its disguise. Yes. You forget it's there is how it's described. Which is the third and final kind of idea about a potential source of amnesia. You know, the alcohol, the two millimeter hole in reality, and then this, like the three things that can sort of erase the past and memory. Yeah. With the Phasmid, I didn't think he was responsible for the amnesia, but I did very much try to tell Kim, yo, I don't think this communist is that responsible for killing the the fascist death squad leader i think um i think it was the phasmids chemicals that did it mostly like i was trying to exonerate this communist because i was like yeah it's really not a bad thing to kill a fascist death squad dude actually while you're talking to the phasmid it becomes apparent that the communist shooter can't see it even like its pheromones effects are so strong on him that he forgets its presence as soon as he sees it so he's not even aware it's there he's been exposed to it for so long over his life that he is probably severely chemically dependent on it and the phasmid as well will tell you in the dialogue if you pass the inland empire checks that its excretions are toxic with prolonged exposure. So it is like neurodegenerative in the case of the uh, old communist that you find. If you have Kim with you here, then he can take a picture of the phasmid if you tell him to at the right time. If you have Kuno here, then Kuno does not have a camera and he cannot take a picture. Yeah! 
I don't have a camera. That sucks about cool though. You talk to it for a bit and you can tell it that it's a kind creature and uh, you can lick some of the sugar off its mandibles. It tells you a story about how it once regrew a leg on its antenna because it like it can regrow limbs, but sometimes they don't come back right. It uh, mentions a story about how one winter it woke up too early and ate a bunch of its children. It was a mistake. It reproduces by cloning. Yeah. And it tells you about the pale and its origins. That it comes from humans. The one quote from it, I actually have it pulled up. The arthropods are in silent, meaningless awe of you. Know that we are watching. When you're tired, when the vision spins out of control, the insects will be looking on, rooting for you. Which I thought was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I also have one more thing to say to you. That woman, turn from the ruin. Turn and go forward. Do it for the working class. Doesn't take a three meter tall stick insect to tell you she was middle class. Yeah, <laughs> that changes depending on what your ideology is, actually. So that's pretty much... I assume if you're fascist, he's like, you don't need women. Pretty much at that point, it is uh, Harry talking to himself, sadly. It's Inland Empire that even, like, uh, or is it electrochemistry or whatever that allows you to speak with it? And none of the dialogue from the Phasmid are in quotes. Like, all the other spoken dialogue has quotation marks around it, so it is narration, technically. It's like when you're talking to inanimate objects... It's thought, though, isn't it? You could interpret it as Harry imagining what it's saying, or you could interpret it as its thoughts coming straight into Harry's head, potentially. One of the two, yeah, because he also has the shivers thing with the city, so you never know. Yeah. It's a little ambiguous, so make of it what you will. From there, you decide that the old man poses no real threat of escape because he's too, like... He's too old and neurodegenerated from the phasmid. So you go back to shore and you're going to like tell the precinct that you found the killer and get them to come and collect him. But they're there. Your entire precinct are there to confront you. Yes. You've seen them all around, but can't take a guess at who they are at this point. Yeah, you can have dialogue with a couple of them where you can kind of work out that they're from your precinct earlier, but because Harry can't remember, he can't be sure that they're actually from his precinct or whether they're just messing with him. I'm your goddamn partner, Jean Vicmar, and this is your special task force. With the two cops, you get kind of clued in a little bit, but with Trant Heidelstam, that came out of the left field. <laughs> but that was handled very well. That was, like, lampshaded perfectly. It, you, because, like, you're fighting, it's like, and you were this, and, and you were this, and Tramp Heidelstam. You were special investigator, Tramp Heidelstam. <laughs> yeah, and in, you're like, well, what was with the kid? And he's like, no, that's my actual son. I was taking him here to, like, show him the the electronics center, as well as coming here to help out with your investigation. One of my favorite lines from Heidelstam at that point is just, it's like, well, we should look at the physical, emotional, and even socioeconomic causes of your memory loss. And you can just respond, it's like, Wait a minute, I'm so poor that I lost my memory? Yes. <laughs> By the way, this is the last time you can bring up Contact Mike, to which your partner just like says, oh, really? Yeah, it was Contact Mike. He's a 5,000 to 1 chance outsider who overcame all this stuff. He's kind of <laughs> implying that you like randomly go on these long tirades about Contact Mike. My absolute favorite part of this is when you, you can ask them a little bit about your past and who you were, and they tell you that before you became a cop, you were a gym teacher. And Kim just just has this revelation like holy shit that makes so much sense that's why you run everywhere that's how you, why you have this juvenile sense of humor
humor. You were a gym teacher, of course. <laughs> and the contact mic, it makes sense. Yeah, it's why you collected all this found sportswear as well. It's why, like, you know perfect form for shot put. Is there any way that you can do anything that makes it so that Kim's like, really, he was a gym teacher? Like, if you don't do any of that stuff. I went intelligence and like they still mention like it's like oh yeah like the bicep girth like so like nothing actually changes like your physical build and if you're not patient as hell you're gonna be running around everywhere so i think i don't know if anything flags that but you can mention that you do also have an actual art degree which the other people will say it's like huh i, I mean guess i guess it makes sense so you never told us about it i wonder if at some point during the production they had the idea that like depending on how you acted in the game they'd give you a different backstory so you'd be an art teacher instead of a gym teacher or or something like that that might be one of those feature creep things yeah but like because of your stat distribution you can always end up with a lot of points in both one of the intellectual traits and one of the physical ones yeah you can also ask these guys about puta de madre as well and they're like no you are too drunk to be working for any more boss you're too volatile you're suicidal <laughs> so ruby just ran away from you for nothing <laughs> as it turned out. Well, you were still going to probably arrest her because she was a suspect in the case, so... Yeah, that's true. And she was running drugs for the Union, so... Kim gives you a really nice, like, rundown of, like how you acted throughout the game at this point as well. They ask Kim to evaluate your performance and he'll be like, well, I mean, he's a raging alcoholic. He does more drugs than anyone I've ever met in my life. He's clearly a fascist, but also somehow an ultra-liberal communist. And he clearly hates women, but he got the job done. This is the, my favorite point to tune into Twitch streams because so many people get called out by the game at this point. Like... Oh, this man's a communist, and then people get upset, and then it's like, oh, and, and he's also a fascist, and then people get really upset. <laughs> he's constantly apologizing to people, which is completely inappropriate for an officer of the RCM. It's very easy to get sorry, cop, because it's like when you first start off, it seems like you've done so many terrible things. It's like, Jesus Christ, I'm drunk, I'm hungover. Okay, I gotta go on an apologizing spree. I've done this before. Yeah. Hold on. Like, I, I've, I've done that in real life where, you yeah. know, you uh, wake uh, up, you forget the last night. It's like, oh, shit, I gotta go call some people and ask for the damage report. Yeah, yeah. Kim pointed out that, like, uh, because I was apocalypse cop second time around. Yeah, so I thought he was just kind of being metaphorical, like, talking about things uh, going in. But uh, it's actually rather distressing because it seems like he genuinely believes this. The officers will also also ask for reasons why they should take you back it's like yes you solved the murder case but what else did you do to make up for how atrocious you were and you can basically go through your list of side quests and tell them well yeah. i found the phasmid and we have photographic evidence of this i started a rave club in a church and then kim pitches and goes maybe not tell them that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if you tell them about the drugs lab kim is like yeah no i've already sorted that out there is a task force coming to jail those kids in the next week yeah to clean them out there's a great little hand-eye coordination check for when you pull out your badge yes yes so you don't drop it not today, not today badge. badge you you tell them about the dead body you found and like how you solved this sort of dead body case with the woman from the bookstore oh you could tell them that you restored the uh you found out about the doomed commercial area like which kim also tells you don't 
tell them about uh but will confirm it's like oh yeah no there actually is though a two millimeter hole in reality we have like we've demonstrated proof of that and then it's yeah like it, it kind of just like wraps up you can do oh, yeah. you can do kind of a cute little thing where you can ask him if he wants to join your precinct yeah before that also a vic mayor will say that you still stink of alcohol and being hung over so you better come up with something good if you still think of alcohol. You can have Kim verify if you've been sober the entire time. You can also, you say you washed off the scent of death, but you also like have been shot and, you know. And it's a really fun way to wrap up the game because it's like, here is a list of your achievements. Here is a list of how you acted during your, your thing. And you know that it's going to be different each time you play. And that's really fun. I like the elements that like show that things change depending on your actions. Yeah. I like it more than the ending Fallout slides. I like that they did it in like a big dialogue section instead. I wanted the Fallout slides for the other characters, though. I wanted to know what happens to Kuno and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Kuno goes on being a little shit. What happens if Kuno is with you here for this final like confrontation? You can recruit him. Yeah, you can recruit him, have him go early into like the junior training for the citizens' militia. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Like, I love this part, but also the part with the communists, because this segment is really where the last puzzle pieces really click into place and really fill out all the gaps you've been finding throughout the game. Like the lack of murder weapon you've not found yet, the the lack of, uh, of you know, because you find ammo for a certain type of weapon, so you, you'll be looking for the murder weapon the entire time. And like, as well, if you look through your tasks, there will be those tasks constantly taunting you, going like, yeah, we're still here. Still haven't solved me. <laughs> you find the last piece of the hanged man's armor as well. Yeah. It's in the phasmid nest because it collects shiny things like a magpie. And if you arrive... Onto the meeting the posse in different uh, various forms of armor and, and, and gear, you also get comment on your fashion sense. What does that say on your back? Peace. What the fuck is wrong with you? You look like a fucking clown, Harry. Any closing thoughts? Uh, Studio Saum has a fan for life. I will play whatever they make next. Hopefully it's more Disco Elysium, but I'm not picky. Yeah, I, it, well, that's uh, hopefully they'll do an expansion because I feel like that's a good way to dodge the sophomore hump. Yes. For like new developers, it's it's that sophomore game that really like cuz there's so much expectations on it and it can't it can't even just be good, like it has to it has to like meet up to to the to the quality of the last one. Yeah. Cuz it's just good like uh like what was it? Fucking uh receiver Transistor after Bastion? Yeah, Transistor. Yeah, yeah. I honestly hope that they don't do the overambitious thing what so many studios do like from what you saw from Divinity 1 to 2 where they what so many developers do, what I really don't like, is that they make this engine, they have so much potential with it, and then the next game they throw it out, they have a new one, and it's the new assets, we have to remake it all from scratch. It's like, why do you keep having to up the graphic fidelity? Why? Yes. Just keep your assets as they are, reuse them, modify them, and expand on what you already have. Please. What do you think uh, like a good expansion territory would be? Because while there is like a decent amount of different endings, Jamrock, Jamrock, yeah, it's it's like probably the most like referenced place. But like, um, I mean, considering that like how small the area that that this game takes place in, like an expansion would be just like a street corner, a district yeah. in Jamrock, yeah. But I'm fine with that, and maybe, just maybe, they can have, like, because if they're going to have it as detailed as this one, if, if they know how to create the assets like this, they could reuse some of the assets. 
and like make new ones to you know as needed if they're going to make the sequel in unity again and if they are going to stick with the current systems that they have rather than you know try and ex- over expand and have more feature creep come in rather than use these systems and make dialogue and stories new i really enjoyed the game system so i'd love to play something similar like a lot of rpgs like this like crpgs i don't i'm not really a fan of the combat and i think it's a bit clunky and it takes too long and i just want to be doing the talking and the the sort of exploring and i think the the detective thing was a really good way to go with it and it was a a fun way to do a story where you can just talk to people to solve the problems so i'd definitely play something like this again well so we saw like uh in the last trailer that they did when hardcore mode came out they saw that they had added a bunch of animations and a lot of them were of the night before so i mean that might actually be an interesting thing to do of a prequel expansion that is literally you as harry being drunk and completely insane no because if you dislike the railroading bit from of like the tribunal the railroading and the in that prequel is going to be so much worse well yeah because you yeah like events that you're already happened and like you can't set up you can't be open-ended the thing is the mystery is good because it doesn't really matter what happened to harry beforehand it matters that he's like a blank slate now so he's sort of only able to complete this case because he has that that blank slate and is open to sort of question everything and sort of get get down on the ground again and work from the ground up so i think going forward is a better idea because then you can further explore you know the world as a person who has no knowledge of it or limited knowledge of it yeah both as harry and as the the player because you're in the same boat as him yeah i mean it would be tough to do another amnesiac character but i would i guess i would like to see if they could just show you a screen of another character say like thought cabinet or or like skills that someone might not necessarily have like obviously not everybody would have like esprit de corps or inland empire anyways yeah good job zom there was one comment i i forgot to mention when we were talking about the voice actors but the the hosts of chapo trap house did mention that they thought because they were doing a game for like this estonian studio that they were, you know, they were going to be part of some, like, Flash game or something. Like, something, like, really, really simple. And they were like, yeah, so now it's getting all this rewards. And, like, it's, like, 40 bucks on Steam. And we just uh-huh. wish we just <laughs> wish we had asked for any money before <laughs> recording oh, these. they did it all for free. I, I really have to say they have enough money. And, two, they are the ones that are always preaching don't work for free. And here, what are they doing? Working for free? Yep. My, my, my. It's not a good look, Chapo. Not a good look. Uh, I'm denouncing denouncing Chapo right now. Uh, do not listen to podcasts that work for free. Uh, yeah, don't listen to podcasts that work for free. <laughs> work for free. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I'm about to go and do like 12 hours unpaid work editing this shit now for you guys. And I'm here to tell you at the end of it, you fucked up. You <laughs> fucked up listening to this.
The fascists were right about rock and roll. It is degenerate. Hip gyrating mental illness music. Communism was just a red herring. <laughs>